Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. All right, and welcome to Against the Match Wrestling Podcast, year 2023. (laughs) I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. And I am Donnie Cage. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh Mr. Cage, happy, happy New Year, sir. How are you doing on this fantastic day? Feeling great, feeling refreshed from the holidays. Still, uh, still coming down off of that, uh, off of that big uh, celebration coma that we all have, and getting back to the real world now. Absolutely, uh, there's so much. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we've been on here, so this show is going to be just a little bit different. We are going to talk about all of the amazing things that happened in the year 2022. In the world of professional wrestling, I said it many times throughout the year last year that what a time it was to be a wrestling fan. And we're going to share some uh, our opinions on some of the things that happened to kind of show you what I meant by that. Before we get into all that, if this is your first time listening, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. No matter which platform you're listening to us from, we are on 73 audio platforms, including Apple iTunes. Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and the list goes on. Also, Mr. Cage has uh, another podcast that he co-hosts that he actually created. You want to go ahead and tell them about uh, the Cage Voice? Yes, if you'd like to check out the Uncaged Voice podcast and all the episodes we've done to date, even though it's been a little bit a little while, you can check out our official YouTube page. It is myself, Top Tier Brian, and Jigsaw Jester that co-host this podcast. We talk entertainment news, we talk movies, we talk sports, all sorts of topics of interest to people. So uh, we're going to be relaunching new episodes soon, but you could catch all of our episodes we've done to date on our official YouTube channel. Yes, yes. Highly recommended. Also, I created and I host the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Uh, Basically there, we, we drop new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. We'll be dropping a new episode today. We talk about politics, current news worldwide, not just in the U.S. We also do uh, special interviews with uh, authors, mediums, and so forth. I will let you guys know that we are going to be focusing more on current news and politics. There's just so much uh, going forward uh, for the remainder of this 2023 because there's so much stuff happening right now and going on. It's just the uh, base audience that I have, they've asked me to kind of shy away from the interviews and let's get back to the old school stuff. And, you know, you got to listen to your audience. So if you guys ever want to be a guest on this show or have any questions for, by the way, thank you all for the happy new year 
emails to Donnie and myself. You can always reach us at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. That's Kentucky spelled out, 99 at yahoo.com. Also in the description, no matter where you're listening to us from, you'll have all of our social media links that you can follow the show on, as well as our merch store link as well. All right, so let's get into the first episode of 2023. We always start our episodes out with my fantasy booking. This is probably my favorite segment of the show. This is something Mr. Cage created last year. Basically, we pick a superstar, no matter which promotion they were in. We talk a little bit about their career, talk about the promotion that they were in that could have booked them or done something different to enhance their career and a lot of missed opportunities. And as always, Mr. Cage, I'll let you go ahead and start us out. Thank you, Kentucky guy. So I've got a good one uh, to start off the new year. So all the way back in the early 90s, we had this young up-and-comer who had a ton of upside coming up in the business by the name of Sid Udy, a.k.a. Sid Vicious. And he had initially debuted with WCW. Well, technically, I guess it was the NWA still. Um, in 1989, as part of the tag team, the Skyscrapers, with uh, Dangerous Dan Spivey. And they were managed by Theodore R. Long. They looked to be going on a tear through the tag team division, but unfortunately, Sid was uh, sidelined with an injury. Dan Spivey was eventually joined by mean Mark Callis, who, of course, would go on to become The Undertaker many, many years later. And the Skyscrapers continued and eventually broke up as a tag team in mid-1990 and went their separate ways. But uh, Sid Vicious, after he had healed up, ended up joining the Four Horsemen, which at the time consisted of the Nature Boy Ric Flair, the Enforcer Ron Anderson, and Barry Windham. And in many, many ways, he was being groomed for, event, for an eventual world title run with WCW. He challenged Sting for the world title for the first time at Halloween Havoc 1990. That's that famous pay-per-view where... Barry Windham dressed up as a fake sting, and they tried to get one over on the audience by having Sid Vicious pin the fake sting and win the title, but they ended up restarting the match, and Sid Vicious lost. Um, he remained with the company until the spring of 1991, when he lost a stretcher match, which really wasn't a stretcher match, but it was billed as such. He lost a stretcher match to El Gigante. And then went to the WWF, where he was renamed Sid Justice and eventually feuded with the likes of Jake Roberts and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and, you know, had a little bit of a run in the main event scene, but didn't really make the kind of impact that people wanted him to. Well, to me, this was a huge missed opportunity on Sid's part. I don't think he should have left WCW in 1991 because he was led to believe that by going to the, the WWF, he was going to take Hulk Hogan's spot as the face of the company. That never happened because Hulk Hogan was not ready to give up that spot. So he, Sid was basically being offered a six-figured contract and a guaranteed world title run. And if I was in his position and I was offered that, I, I wouldn't have said no. I would have said, sign me up. Um, I'm committed to this company. Let's go. And maybe Sid at the time just didn't like didn't like WCW management. I don't know the full story of what I'm behind the scenes, but I just feel like if he would have stayed with WCW, he would have actually gotten that main event push much earlier in his career than he did because he really didn't win his first world title until 1996 when he beat Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, which was a WWF show, obviously. 
And then he went on to win multiple world titles in the WWF and WCW and had a good career overall. But he was definitely being groomed for a main event level spot. And I think he hadn't left for the World Wrestling Federation in 1991. Could have happened earlier for him. And maybe his career would have gone on a different trajectory. I just think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity at that particular time, but mostly on his part, not so much WCW or WWF creative. Psycho Sid was one of my favorite characters uh, growing up. And yeah, I agree 100%. I think that, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, you're spot on. You can't really blame the companies because even Sid Justice was a decent character. So it really had nothing to do with creative. It was all in timing. I, I think you picked a great one this week. And I think that uh, you're, you're just spot on because his timing was way off. Now, I don't know the history, even though I was a fan, but I was very young back then when he was wrestling. First start with, uh, in the era that you're talking about. And so I haven't never researched it. I never thought of it. He's actually a good pick. I kind of kick on myself. Wish I would have thought of him. But uh, he is a, uh, I don't know, he, the only thing that I had against Sid Vicious was he would take off a lot during the summer to play softball. <laughs> and I know Chris Jericho does it to play in a rock band and, and what have you. Different wrestlers have different hobbies and so forth. But his contracts in both, all three companies actually that he's been in that I know of, had a clause in there to where he could take like three or four months off during the summer to play softball. And that was unheard of back then. You know, it's, it's very common now for, like I mentioned, Chris Jericho and a few others that have other things going on. But back then it was very uncommon, but he was that skilled of an athlete and that over with the fans that they would, uh, they overlooked it. They put the clause in there, help them out. So, uh, yeah, a good one this week, sir. Very good. Okay, so my fantasy booking for this episode. This is somebody who is synonymous with wrestling. He's no longer wrestling. He's still in the business. I think this guy will always be in the business behind the scenes somehow. When he was a wrestler, especially in his prime, he was probably one of the best in the world. My fantasy booking this episode, his name is Troy Allen Martin. But you're going to know him by his ring name, Shane the Franchise Douglas. What I want to talk about with Shane Douglas is I want to talk about his time in the WWE. The entire time that he was with, or yeah, WWE, WWF, what have you. The entire time that he was with them, (laughs) he held one title, and that was the Intercontinental Championship. And basically, he got that because Shawn Michaels got injured, and it defaulted to him. And I want you guys to understand, he had that one title. But Shane Douglas has been a part of wrestling for many years. He was in 17 different promotions. And just, I'm not going to go through all of his accolades and his titles, but in heavyweight championship titles alone, he held 17 of them in 17 different promotions. There's not a whole lot of wrestlers on the independent ticket or in the WWE that can state claim to that kind of success. So he first joined the World Wrestling Federation in uh, 1990. Very, very short career. He was there one year. He signed a deal 
He made his uh, debut on June 18th on an episode of Primetime Wrestling where he defeated Bob Brad. Now, this match was taped in Toronto, Ontario, and he remained undefeated in his first month, defeating Bob Bradley, Paul Diamond, Steve Lombardi in a series of matches. Then he finally got moved up to a house show series in the late in late June against Aku, and he suffered his first loss. Uh, he remained without a win, so this guy went undefeated. Keep this in mind. I want to show you how they botched this. I'll try not to be too lengthy, but... I want to draw a clear picture here. So he went undefeated for his first month. Then he lost to Haku when he finally got to the house show. And he remained without a win and subsequently rematches. Basically, he didn't have another win for two months. On August 26th, WWF Wrestling Challenge, teaming with jobber Mark Thompson, Thomas, in a loss once again, to the Oriental Express. Finally, in August of 1990, later on that month, he received his first actual break, I guess you could call it, with the WWF. He replaced an injured Shawn Michaels in the tag team, the Rockers, with Marty Jannetty. They fought the Oriental Express six times, and they split, they split the uh, series with them never winning the titles is most memorable. And this comes from a podcast when I was doing research on this WWF performance took place in 1991 Royal rumble where he entered as the 17th entry and lasted for 26 minutes and 23 seconds before elim- being eliminated by Brian knobs, Brian Nobbs, Yeah. Shortly after that, he left the company. Now he left the company this time because his father had a health condition and was uh, wasn't doing well at all. Now, when he left the company, he did make intermediate appearances throughout 1991, subbing for various wrestlers on house shows. And uh, in '95, he returned to the WWF with a new character. He was the College Dean, under the ring name Dean Douglas. He made his first appearance on an episode of Superstars to establish himself. He filmed several uh, vignettes with a chalkboard, lecturing wrestlers and fans. He would also be shown taking notes of his opponents at ringside during some matches, frequently carried a paddle. God, he'd usually present a, a report card. I mean, this guy was set to be a failure right from the beginning with this horrible, horrible, and I know they had a lot of bad characters back then, but why not just bring him back to what he was doing before he left. So he was set to wrestle Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title, but Michaels forfeited the title due to injury. Now, check this out. After being, uh, he was attacked and beaten by a Marine in New York. Douglas had to immediately defend the title against a rival, Razor Ramon. And Razor Ramon would go on to defeat Shane Douglas, ending his reign. He was the Intercontinental Champion, the only title he held in WWF, for 20 minutes. And to speed it all, this happened at Madison Square Garden. Now, I want to talk about his exit real quick. Shane was diagnosed with, with severe muscle spasms in his back that it got ag- agitated and it could have paralyzed him. Despite 
doctors informing Vince McMahon it was a legitimate injury, Vince became angry at the news and tried to intimidate Shane into denying the injury and was explicitly told by Vince McMahon to leave the company on January 1st, 96. However, Vince made him go out that evening, deliver a promo, and it's on the internet if you want to go find it, delivered a promo where, in which he announced his injury. Shane had been very outspoken about how Vince paid him much less than what was agreed upon. And because of his treatment, he's refused to ever, ever, ever work for Vince McMahon again. And I tell you, this guy went on when he left there. This is before he became synonymous with ECW. When he left there, he went to ECW. He was repackaged as the franchise. Paul Heyman, who like him or love him or hate him, uh, he is a genius when it comes to characters and packaging his athletes, especially during the ECW days. So he goes there and he becomes a franchise and some of the most greatest matches I've ever seen. If you ever get a chance, I found it the other day. It's still on the internet. Shane, Shane Douglas, the franchise versus Al Snow versus Al Snow for the ECW world title. Shane Douglas has a broken arm in that match and that is one of the best matches I think I've ever watched ever in my life. It was just fantastic. But WWE, definitely, once again, Vince McMahon's pride. We'll be talking about Vince McMahon in current news as well coming up, but his pride basically lost him someone who could have been as big as, in my opinion, Triple Eight, The Rock. His name would have been right up there if he'd have left him alone, not changed that character, and stopped getting his feelings hurt and taking it out on these wrestlers, which he had a horrible, a horrible habit of doing back then. But uh, that's my pick for this week. Your thoughts, sir? I think I think it's a great pick. Um, Shane Douglas, uh, at this point, you know, in his career, is pretty well regarded, especially for his work in ECW, and even a little bit for the later days of uh of WCW and some of the work he did in the early days of TNA even. Um, so he's definitely a well-regarded wrestler, but WWF really dropped the ball on him first in 19, around 1990, when he was a young up and comer. And then in 1995, again, when he was much more established by that point, they just wanted to stick him with that really dumb Dean Douglas gimmick. And it, which just really went nowhere. I mean, he scored a couple of victories, I know, against Razor Ramon on pay-per-view, but just had that really short-lived intercontinental title reign. And it's, it's unfortunate that they didn't make better use of him. I really don't blame him also for just on principle not working for uh, Vince McMahon after the treatment he received in, in late 95, early 96. Um so it's just one of those things. It's uh, it's a shame he never went further in his WWF career, but at least he was able to carve out a legacy for himself, fortunately. Yeah, and I'll still say that uh, he will go down as uh, probably one of the greatest wrestlers. Uh, I started to say independent wrestlers, but he, did, he made some waves on WCW. He had an amazing feud with Ric Flair. 
which continues today if, if you follow uh, either one of their podcasts. All right, so let's move on to, uh, real quickly, before we get into the uh, this episode's main thing, which is talking about the crazy year and wonderful year 2022 was for professional wrestling fans, let's talk a little bit about current news. And I'm going to start off with AEW, and I'm doing this because I want to point this first one out to Mr. Marlowe, Warren Marlowe. Yeah. So... Basically, when I, the last time he was on the show, they Samoa Joe had just beaten Wardlow for Wardlow's title. And I'm, I was complaining because I'm not a fan of Samoa Joe. And I'm like, man, why didn't they let somebody else have this title? He's already got a title. Let somebody take it and run with it. And Warren, on the show, you can go back and listen to it. He goes, well, who, who, who would you want to see have it? I mean, who do they got? And I'm like, I don't know, Darby Allen, maybe? Uh, Darby Allen, you got a bunch of different wrestlers that could do it. And he starts laughing at me and he goes, do you see how little Darby, I don't know if you remember this or not, Donnie, but he's like, do you know how oh, I do. He, he's like, do you know how little Darby Allen is compared to Joe's uh, Samoa Joe's legs? And I'm like, dude, skills, wrestling technique. It doesn't just have to be how big you are. Anyways, my first update is Darby Allen defeated Samoa Joe, fair and square, for the TNT Championship on Dynamite. Aha! And he actually got to win it in his trainer's hometown. His trainer's son was there, uh, Allen, when he won the title. And Samoa Joe, that piece of crap, actually tried to attack. Well, he did. He slapped this kid before the match started. And Darby Allen did not take kindly to it, and I thought it was a great way to start, start the match off. Your thoughts, sir? Well, truth be told, this is how you do a big man, little man match. Um, you build heat for the heel, who's the defending champion. You think to yourself, he's going to eat Darby Allen for breakfast because of the size difference. Darby Allen uses his, uh, you know, his quickness to his advantage, and he ends up scoring the upset victory. Now, again, being a fan of Samoa Joe, I wouldn't have been opposed to him retaining here, and maybe Darby Allen winning it somewhere down the line, but. It was a feel-good story. Darby Allen, like I said, used his own size, or lack thereof, to his advantage. And he ended up beating Samoa Joe fair and square. So Darby Allen getting another shot to run with the TNT Championship. I'm excited to see what the future holds. Keep in mind that Samoa Joe is still the ROH World Television Champion, so he's going to continue to defend that belt. Um. But yeah, this was a this was a good a feel good a good feel good moment for the audience. Yeah, but ROH television champion is kind of meaningless, right? He's just defending it on AEW. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't. I, that's just my shot at Tony Khan for not doing anything with Ring of Honor still. Brian Danielson, as we all know, he's got beef right now with MJF due to the William Regal debacle. By by the way, it is official. William Regal is no longer with AEW. He did sign a non-compete clause for 90 days, so it'll be a while, but he will be back with the WWE, back on television. I don't know in what form. I know he's not wrestling, but I have no idea what form or anything of that nature. I could not get that kind of information because most of my information are from people who work around or have something to do with people who work around AEW and Tony Khan. So 
But anywho, Brandy Di, uh, Brandy, uh, <laughs> Brian Danielson has challenged MJF to a one-hour Ironman match for the AEW title, world title, and MJF has agreed. I personally, I think this might be a mistake on MJF's part, and the reason why, I, I don't believe Daniel uh, Brian Danielson can beat him, but the longer a match goes, I've seen Brian Danielson in these type of matches before throughout the years, in Ring of Honor, WWE even. He has a stamina about him, and that kind of worries me. MJF, he's great. He's still young. He doesn't have that stamina to go that long, I don't think. So that's just my opinion. But uh, And I hate to say that because I'm a huge MJF fan, but it kind of worries me. This match worries me. Your thoughts? I have to say, Kentucky guy, I am shocked that you're – Starting the year off by speaking the by speaking the truth here that Brian Danielson has a lot more stamina for this type of type of match than MJF. I'm proud of you, but anyway, um, I agree with you. I don't think this is going to be the moment where MJF gets unseated. I think Brian Danielson is really going to stretch him in this match to his absolute limits. I'm actually excited to see what MJF can do in this in this particular match because. This is going to be probably the longest match he's worked in his entire career. I don't ever remember reading any other instances where he's worked Iron Man matches, um, and we know that Brian Danielson can can handle these. He's had he's wrestled many in his career, or he's worked multiple matches in one night. Um, so I predict this is either going to end in a draw with the two of them have the, having the same number of falls, or MJF is just barely going to edge out a victory near the end, and. They might try to do it in a way that Brian Daniels will say, "Oh, he he cheated and he, he you know he w- took the shortcut to win." So I want another rematch under different stipulations. I don't know. I don't know what will happen, but I'm excited to see it. Uh, it. Might be the first Iron Man match that I tune in for in quite a long time. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the best matches, Iron Man matches that I've seen Brian Daniels and Russell was against uh, the Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels in Ring of Honor. That, that match was fantastic. So I thought a lot about the ending that you brought up to this match with MJF and Brian Danielson. What, what, what do you think about like a Wheeler Yuta turning his back on Brian Danielson, causing him to lose this match? What do you, what do you think about something like that? I think it's a very real possibility because I don't think the Blackpool Combat Club, Club as a team, as a faction has much more life in them, especially now that the feud is technically over with the Jericho Appreciation Society. I, I could see it potentially happening, or maybe they'll drop some more hints that it could happen, and it'll happen at a pay-per-view. But... You know, Wheeler Yuta and MJF, as we've seen before, have a history with one another, and I think there's a mutual respect there. So I don't think it's completely out of the realm of, of possibilities to happen. Yeah, and, and I basically just threw his name out there. It could be even a John Moxley, which I don't think because they're going to have to fight again. John Moxley still has a rematch coming for the title. Somebody from that club kind of stepping in and taking regal's place as part of the betrayal i don't know i i've been thinking about ever since wednesday ever since i've seen this challenge 
Could be interesting. Could be interesting. Hangman Adam Page, as we know, uh, he is back. However, he's still not 100% cleared. But he did promise to knock John Moxley out. And John Moxley showed up to the ring. I was pretty proud of John Moxley because he's hot-headed, very hot-headed. One of the reasons, well, only, only the only reason why I like him, he's a uh, he he plays too much to the fans. He's he, he he wants to be a baby face, but he's so much better if he's not. Anyways, he comes out and he restrains himself until Adam Page is clear, who's waiting on a report from a doctor. I thought this was a pretty decent segment. The only thing that's odd in this segment to me was the week before they fall all over the arena. <laughs> this guy was injured a long time ago, way back by John Moxley. So what changed? Why why'd you change the storyline like week to week? It, it just it didn't make any sense. Your thoughts? Yeah, what's uh there's a little lack of consistency here in the storyline. These two want to tear each other apart one week, and then the next week they're they're perfectly fine to just talk to just talk it out like like men. Um, yeah, I mean, if I had just, I mean, if a, a guy that I hated and I had just been trying to tear each other limb from limb a day a day before, if I saw him on the street, I, I I'd probably want to go in and try to and try to finish it. <laughs> I wouldn't just walk up to him and say, "Listen, let's talk out our problems." Uh, let, you know, let's. Uh, Let's just put let bygones be bygones and uh, we'll shake hands and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> yeah, does I, I can't say I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of this whole start and stop approach to this storyline. Yeah, and there's nothing. I searched I searched everywhere I could, and there's no reports. There was no. I thought maybe Hangman Adam Page got re-injured the week prior, and maybe that's why. No, there's nothing like that. John Moxley's not injured. Uh, Adam Page is not injured, just the storyline that they're using. Of course, he's he's already been cleared, but the storyline that they're using to, for some reason, push this rivalry another week. Yeah, I'm like you. I just, I'm not a fan of it at all. I hate it, and AEW is the worst company I've seen for it when they try to act like fans are stupid and don't actually know what's going on. I can't stand it. Dude, this is the internet information age. And we, we know probably before Tony Khan does on a lot of things. So this doesn't make any sense. So the match of, for the last two weeks on Dynamite, this was the worst match. The ending of it really ticked me off. I actually had to buy two TVs because I busted one and then thought about the match later and busted the other one, the new one, later that night and had to go back out and buy another one. So everybody in the family's kind of upset with me, so I got to be got to control my temper. On Dynamite, Ricky Starks actually defeated Chris Jericho on television. There was a post-match beatdown by the Jericho Appreciation Society. What are they doing with Jericho? Why is he losing? Yes, he is great at putting younger stars over. I get it. When there's a rivalry, and it's been going on for a while, and he wins one, loses one, wins one, loses one. But why is he losing all these people now? What's up? What's going on? It doesn't make any sense. He lost his title to Cesaro. Then he loses the following week on, on TV to a jobber. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. He, he's on a bad, he's in a bad losing streak. 
maybe that's the storyline. I don't, I don't know. Your thoughts? Jericho, even at his age, we know can still put on a good match and compete at a high level. There's no question about it. Man's a Hall of Famer. He's had a great career. He's put a lot of people over. He's won a lot of championships. I don't know exactly where they're going with this storyline, but I will say I'm intrigued. Um, and I don't really see a problem with him putting... I don't see him putting uh, putting Ricky Starks over as a bad thing because Ricky Starks is a former... FTW champion. He's clearly being groomed for a bigger spot in AEW in the future. He's seen as one of their future top guys, I think. So I don't think that, at least in a bubble, him losing to Ricky Starks is a bad thing. This other guy, Action, I totally forget his. Uh, I totally forget his name. Can you remind me, <laughs> Kentucky guy? Fox, right? Fox. No, no, not not Ar Fox. There was another guy that he that he lost to. I. Action Action Andretti, I think, was the name. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm all for shock every now and then in my wrestling. I like to be shocked. I like when there's a WTH moment every now and then that I wasn't expecting. But I don't think I've seen this guy on Dynamite since he beat Chris Jericho. So it's like, well, what are we, what are we building towards here? I, I mean, at first I thought, Maybe they're going to do a, a repeat of the Razor Ramon one two three kid storyline from back in the day, where the jobber wins by a complete complete luck, and the the veteran comes out and demands a rematch with them. And when they keep saying, "Oh no no no, I'm not going to give you a rematch," Jericho will be like, "Oh well, I'll pay you fifty thousand dollars for a rematch or seventy five thousand. The money keeps going up each week." And that might have been an interesting storyline to see a rematch between. Jericho and Action Andretti, but they never went anywhere with that. It just was, he lost the match to a jobber and that's it. So I, I'm with you, Kentucky guy, and then I'm kind of frustrated and not knowing where the storyline's going. But I don't have an issue with Jericho putting over a younger talent. Um, I know you're not a, a, a Claudio Castagnoli fan, but I'm still perfectly fine with him being ROH world champion at this point in time. Well, it shows me that another year hasn't made you any smarter. <laughs> Claudio, Claudio's champion is uh, just a joke. And you are correct on the other guy. That was his debut match in AEW, and he hasn't been back to wrestle anybody. And I just did some research while you were uh, talking about it. He's not been on AEW Dark either. So did he just quit? Or <laughs> it just I, I swear, some of the stuff that this company does, just I wonder sometimes why I still watch it. They aggravate me. All right, so there is a report out right now that Mercedes, who is uh, Sasha Banks now, or, yeah, Mercedes, <laughs> she was a.k.a. Sasha Banks on WWE, that she is supposed to be on AW Dynamite next week. That's just the report. That's not news. That's the rumor. Could be interesting. However, she did make her debut for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and we know that they have a a tight coalition there between the two companies at Wrestle Kingdom 17. She made her appearance, announced that she was with New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, I, I went back and I watched that, her her entrance and, and what have you. The weird thing is, is she didn't really do a whole lot to be paid that kind of money that everybody's talking about. I, I wasn't that impressed at all. Here's the thing, though. You guys remember, 
I told Tony Khan to jump on this. Once again, he drops the ball. He should have jumped all over this because Sasha Banks, Mercedes, whatever you want to call her, when she gets going, she is a superstar. And she can change. And some of you may disagree, and that's fine. But she can change, in my mind, a programs, a wrestling programs, women's division by herself. She has that much charisma and star power. Your thoughts? Mercedes Monet, a.k.a. Sasha Banks, is, is a superstar. There's no question about it. She was a superstar in WWE, and she's going to continue to be a superstar wherever she goes. Um, if I were to wager a guess, I don't think she wants to get tied down in an exclusive contract with a promotion right now. I do believe the hype that she's going to show up on AEW television this week and be Soraya's tag team partner, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be, she's going to be a regular on television initially. I think she also has this deal going with New Japan Pro Wrestling and wants to divide her time between both places, which is probably from a business perspective, a really smart move on her part. Plus, she also has her acting projects that she's involved in, so she probably wants to leave some time for that in her schedule. Bottom line is she's going to be a busy woman and she's going to be making money and getting a lot of exposure. So that's a really smart move on her part. And I think just from her presence alone, it's going to enhance whichever women's division she's a part of. I I mean, I do hope that if she were to become a full-time AEW roster member, that Tony Khan would find a way to not drop the ball with her the way WWE did. Um, but bottom line is, I mean, I say, I say good for her. If she's able to take advantage of all these deals that are being thrown to her, then go for it. Yeah, she, uh, she signed a, a one-year contract with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They do have a, a clause in it to where she can go to AWN. It looks like she can also go to uh, Impact Wrestling as well. I didn't know New Japan. I guess I guess they do, though. They have that open relationship with Impact as well. See, this is Triple H should be all over this. This is something that just a touch of. We don't need to see it every week, but we need to see these New Japan wrestlings. Speaking of Triple H and WWE, Sasha Banks made a statement, or Mercedes, made a statement that she that she respects and loves Triple H, but she is done with WWE forever. Now, we've heard other wrestlers say that in the past. You never, ever burn a true bridge with WWE in this business. <laughs> so, unless you're CM Punk. Uh, who is, by the way, and I'll mention this real quick, CM Punk is still under contract with AEW. However, there's no plans to ever bring him back. They're trying to buy it out. It's still under proceedings. It looks like it's going to go to court because of uh, that punk's uh, asking price. So, pun intended. Let's see here. So, and then really quick, uh, Charlotte Flair shows back up on SmackDown, and she takes the belt right away from Ronda Rousey. The funny thing is, is Ronda Rousey's not scheduled and not going to be on SmackDown this week. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Ronda Rousey is this amazing. You build her up to become this great heel. You put a partner with her, Shayna Baszler. And I understand Charlotte's the queen and everything, but Charlotte comes out, challenges her to a match that nobody in their right mind would take after just facing Raquel Rodriguez. 
But now you're trying to show that Ronda Rousey has such a bad attitude and so overconfident that she's just going to take this match, lose the match right away, and lose her belt that she's had. Don't don't get it. Don't understand. I've been doing research to see if Ronda Rousey got injured somehow. She's not injured. Uh, done a little bit deeper to make sure she wasn't pregnant or something. I have no idea. And, it, and from everything that I've found out since that SmackDown, there is no plans to remove her from television or anywhere anytime soon. She has dates, books to wrestle matches all over the place and SmackDown. So what's your thoughts on that one? Well, I talked to you a little bit offline about this Kentucky guy, which is, you know, Charlotte Flair being back, I think is a good thing for the SmackDown women's division. We, we know she's a star, one of the best workers on the female roster, arguably probably the best, like pure in-ring talent. No question about it. Um, her coming back and making her the SmackDown Women's Champion makes sense. There are some fresh matchups you can do there with her be- being back on TV now. Ronda's most recent reign as SmackDown Women's Champion, some of the booking was good. Some of the booking wasn't so good. You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want to see these two continue to face each other because I just don't feel when they get in the ring in a one-on-one situation that there's a lot of chemistry there. I think some of their matches have been a little rough, to be perfectly honest. I think each of them on their own are a lot better than when they work together. But it just, to me, signifies that if Charlotte Flair is to come back and they have to immediately put the title back on her, that they just don't have any confidence on for, for to have any other woman run the SmackDown women's division. Yeah, I, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've always been a Charlotte uh, Flair fan. But I, I I like the the heel turn that they've recently done with Ronda Rousey and teaming her up, like kind of like Shayna Baszler. It's kind of like her bodyguard, her buddy, costing other people matches. That way they don't look so weak losing against her and like Raquel Rodriguez, for example, and Shotzi at the pay-per-view. I just don't understand the switch all of a sudden. So, folks, we know that there is a lot of current events that we we could get to. However, we don't want to spend the rest of the day on it. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of things. We have the bloodline who tried to take over Raw uh, to take over the show. I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about. But there's one other subject in current news that I want to touch on before we get into today's segment. And basically... The rumor was about a week and a half ago that in the WWE, Vince McMahon put himself back on the WWE's board of directors. Now, when I first heard this, I was kind of like, I don't know how true that is. You know, you are fake news. However, it's not fake news. And here is the proof. WWE actually held a company-wide meeting the other day, this week. In response to the early announcement regarding Vince McMahon reassuming a role on WWE's board of directors, the meeting was held for WWE employees rather than talent and lasted approximately 10 minutes after getting pushed back from the original start time of 3.30 to 3.45. PW, Pro Wrestling Insider, provided a report with some highlights from the meeting, which are as follows. WWE 
officially announced that Vince McMahon was back as a member of the board of directors. The company reinforced their statement, though, that no changes to management or their responsibilities will occur currently. I hate that word, currently. Meaning that Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, Fred Ridrick III, who was present for the call, who were all present for the call, and others would continue their current positions and assignments. This was an emphasis on the concept that the occurrence was significantly beneficial and would provide WWE everything required to maximize upcoming rights, revenue sales, including fresh negotiations for Raw, SmackDown, and other brands, and would allow WWE to measure the potential for a sell of the company. Yes, they've been talking for a while about selling the company. Uh, the concept promoted uh, consists of an idea that McMahon's return would put the WWE on a single page in order to make the most of the company's potential going forward. Some of the things real quick that they shared with the employees, it uh, compared possible sale options prior to the rights, the negotiations in cases that Pat promised to be more financially beneficial than additional cycle of simply selling broadcast rights. Although there was significant emphasis that a sell may not manifest at all and no assumptions on the occurring should be made. So, yeah, we might sell, but, you know, don't get out here and talk about it because we might not, might not. Weird. Vince McMahon would have the last word. Check this out. Vince McMahon will have the last word on any such negotiations as the controlling shareholder of WWE. Another possible avenue for WWE is possible strategic business maneuvers might be for the company to go private again, should that be the best outcome for the shareholders. So the sources characterize the meeting as an attempt to bolster employee morale. No employee questions were taken during the meeting. There was an additional details after I got this report that was made by Fightful, and it said the meeting was led by was actually led by Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, and Fred uh, Riddick. Indications were made that potential buyers for the company might take interest in WWE as a property instead of merely a product. There are rehires that Vince McMahon has already asked for, and the possible rehires of Michelle Wilson and George Boros were mentioned, citing them as individuals who, who assisted with some of the largest rights deals for WWE over the past years. Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack, I think. There is, uh, I, I thought he was gone, man. We, it's amazing how this guy retires. And I don't, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I hate to see, I can't imagine another company owning the WWE besides the McMahons, but I, I guess it's possible. Uh, I just, I, that kind of scares me on how that would look. However, this guy, he retires. And don't hear anything from him. He's not out doing interviews. He's not doing. He's not doing anything. And then, boom, he puts himself back on the board. And then they accept it. I guess they had no. They had, there was no. Re, 
there was no way possible that I think they could reject him. Uh, he still owns the main controlling shares in the WWE. I personally agree with Eric Bischoff on Eric Bischoff's podcast. He said that this was Vince McMahon's way of doing an exit strategy to actually sell the company, put his name there, be able to sell it, get as much money as he can for it, and then officially, officially retire, I guess. Just crazy. And if this happens, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm at a loss, really. I, if they actually do sell the company, are there going to be... Well, you know, Triple H, why would I, if I was Triple H, I wouldn't work again either. So why would he go on to the other, the other place of employment and actually have to work for somebody else? So I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on this, Mr. Cage? A lot to unpack. Oh boy. It's a lot to unpack. Um, I guess at this point in time, my opinion is as a lifelong WWE fan, it's very difficult to picture anyone but the McMahon family and the people there closely associated with running the company. But after all the controversies that the company has seen in recent years, especially, I don't know if you watched the nine lives of Vince McMahon documentary, but I watched that not too long ago. And there were some controversies that I learned about there that I wasn't previously privy to. And I don't know, like maybe it really is time for a brand new era in WWE history, a, a rebranding, a reset, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but a new, just a, a different maybe type of future than we could have initially imagined for the company. We don't know what that would look like under a new regime, but it might just be that point in time in history where WWE has got to move on and become a different type of promotion than it's been. Um, I don't know how this would impact talent or storylines or what, but I think that's probably the best option because if this is some crazy power play by Vince McMahon for him to wind up in control again, I, I, I think that could probably spell like a lot of future turmoil for the company. So I don't know. Maybe they're not planning on selling it. Maybe it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot to unpack and I just, I just hope this doesn't mean that Vince is going to try to take over the product again, because I think that would be the worst possible scenario at this stage. So Vince McMahon, we all know that he has a big ego. However, he didn't get to where he is in life financially by being stupid. And surely he can see how great things are going under Triple H's creative control. So I, I just, and it's possible, but I just really can't see this being a power play for, you know, to get back to where he was, the CEO, head of creative and all that. I, I kind of, I have to kind of agree with uh, my old buddy, Eric Bischoff. I think this is somehow, at least in his mind, his final escape route out of wrestling altogether. And we could be dead wrong. We'll have to watch, and this is going to make 2023 a year to watch as well. So, but let's get into uh, this segment the crazy year of 2022. So, I'm going to start off with since we are coming up on the Royal Rumble this month in uh, three weeks, I believe, last Royal Rumble last year of 2022. 
one of the craziest things that I've seen. And basically what I'm going to do, Mr. Cage, is I'll talk about three different things and then let you comment on them uh, due to time and, and all that good stuff. One of the craziest things that I've seen was Mickey James comes out and she's in the female Royal Rumble and she's wearing her Impact Knockouts Championship. <laughs> I, I thought that, I mean, that was crazy. And then I have to mention this the entire year, and it just keeps getting better. The entire year of this 2022 craziness, Sami Zayn has shown that he is not the best wrestler, but he is the best entertainer in the World Wrestling Federation or uh, WWE right now. He is the best entertainer, bar none. And he has proven that over and over again all throughout last year. And then Roman Reigns, we'll go ahead and mention him because Sammy's a part of the bloodline. Roman Reigns officially became the longest reigning universal champion. This was back in January as well of last year. And this was before, of course, he fought Brock Lesnar and combined the titles. Uh, your thoughts on any of that, sir? Well, uh, Mickey James showing up at the Royal Rumble while she was under contract with Impact Wrestling was definitely a big moment in wrestling history. And of course, we've seen Mickey James on WWE television many, many times over the years because she worked for them at, at different points in her career. But to do this while she was under contract with another rival promotion was definitely a great example of someone breaking down the forbidden door, as it's called, in wrestling. So it was a historic moment, no question about it. Sami Zayn... 100% proved that he was a great performer and entertainer this year, especially when he became involved in the Bloodline storyline. And I have to be honest with you, I thought that storyline was going to last at most a month, maybe a month and a half they'd drag it out for, and then it would end with a Bloodline beatdown, and Sami Zayn would go on his merry way, and we'd never hear about his involvement in that storyline again. But it's just, storyline keeps going and going, and it keeps getting more interesting by the minute. And hats off to Sami Zayn and all the other members of the Bloodline for doing a great job with that storyline. And of course, Roman Reigns, longest uh, modern day world title reign. You have to give him a ton of credit for taking on this new character, this new life in his career. Um, definitely a lot of people said for years that they saw him having the potential to get to this point, and he, and he never could because he was held back by bad booking. Um, he had to find the right character for himself, and he certainly did when he became the tribal chief, the head of the table. And he's, he's definitely in the absolute uh, peak and prime of his career. It's going to be interesting to see who eventually unseats him and when they do. A lot of people think, oh, well, he's going to clearly drop the titles at WrestleMania, right? Well, we don't know that for a fact. We don't know what's going to happen, um, but it's going to be very interesting in 2023. I couldn't agree more. He could drop the title this month when he faces Kevin Owens. It'd be interesting at the Royal Rumble, so we'll see. Let's see. Cody, this is something here that I didn't think that I would see until I was a very old man. I thought I would see it one day, but not this fast. This shows you how amazing 2022 was. Cody Rhodes actually leaves AEW, the company he helped start, 
Let's just be honest about it. He helped start. I watched all the promotional press conferences that they had before this. They had their very first pay-per-view and their first match on AEW. I watched it all because huge, as you guys know, I'm a wrestling fan and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is where these guys come from and something even today I still watch every week. He, he got this company up and going. He leaves AEW, and he returns to the WWE in April. Yeah, that shocked me. Like I said, what a time to be a wrestling fan. Tony Khan turns around, and he buys Ring of Honor. He doesn't do jack with it, but he bought it. He owns it, so the Ring of Honor name is still up there. And then uh, some sad news. Scott Hall passed away in March as well. Actually, 12 days after Tony Khan bought the Ring of Honor. And of course we know Scott Hall had a bunch of bunch of demons and personal problems and what have you. Still sad, uh, very sad. And if you ever listen to Kevin Nash's podcast, you can still tell that uh Big Sexy misses his buddy a lot. But uh your thoughts on those three, sir? Yeah, I mean the death of uh Scott Hall definitely left uh, sent shock waves throughout the industry. I think primarily because a lot of people expected him to succumb to his demons years ago, not, you know, not in 2022. It seemed actually like Scott Hall had been on the road to recovery for, a, for, for quite a while and at least had started to make some positive changes in his life. Um, and he certainly was a guy who was, was, you know, was a controversial figure, but he was still very well liked. Uh, he had a lot of friends, including Kevin Nash, in the industry. He always had a great mind for the business. When I would hear him do interviews and everything, the guy just, he was a lot more of an eloquent speaker than you would expect. And that's just because of working for so many different promotions over the years. So that was definitely shocking and very, uh, tra- and very tragic indeed when you see someone who's trying to make changes for the better in their life and they and they end up passing away. That That's never easy. Um you know, the Ring of Honor thing, much like you, Kentucky guy, I was a fan of the Ring of Honor product back in the day when so many guys were coming up in the business. I'd like to see them do something of significance with Ring of Honor. It's, it still remains to be seen what's going to happen there. Uh, I, I, I just I don't want the Ring of Honor titles to just be reduced to being props on AEW television, which is kind of what they are right now which is very unfortunate. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, Ring of Honor says Scott Hall. Um, and uh, what was the, what was the last thing? Now I'm, now I'm drawing Cody a Rhodes. blank. Cody Rhodes, yes. Big, big uh, acquisition for WWE. It was very unfortunate that he suffered that, that untimely injury right before the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. But, man... I have to I have to tell you the, the the level of storytelling that went into that match between him and Seth Rollins was on a was on a whole nother level. And the way he gutted through that injury um, and made it through the match was great. The angle they did the next night on Raw was also great. If rumors are to be believed, Cody Rhodes could be back in the WWE on, on television very soon which I hope that's true because I'd love to see him compete at WrestleMania again. I don't know if he's a realistic option for the Royal Rumble. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to see him rush back before he's fully healed. I want to see Cody Rhodes at 100%. But it is great to see him back where he uh, where he started his career. 
And I, I, I think big things are on the horizon for Cody Rhodes in 2023 in WWE. Yeah, I do too. And they're not giving an inch on whether he's coming back for the Royal Rumble or not. They're not doing anything. <laughs> they're not letting us know anything at all. And yeah, just to caveat on what you were saying on uh, Scott Hall, just so everyone knows, yes, uh, he was relapsing with his addiction uh, to narcotics when he passed away. I know a lot of people, there's a lot of false rumors out there. And trust me, I don't want to be the guy to bust anybody's bubble or anything like this. But when we know something and it's the news and not a rumor, we're going to put it out there for you guys because like it or love it, that's what you guys show up for. You want to know the truth, not just our opinions all the time. And he was, uh, he did relapse, according to Sean Whitman, uh, Kevin Nash, several reports I've read. Uh, The next item, uh, MJF, what a year for this guy. This guy here, uh, (laughs) he did that interview where he started talking crap about the company, AEW, that he works for. He skipped a meet and greet before a major pay-per-view in which he lost to Wardlow. And then he comes out and he cusses out Tony and the Warner (laughs) Warner Brothers and what have you disappears shows up with a we thought a faction but just some people he hired hands and he wins the uh casino chip and he's now the aw world champion you could talk all day just about that guy and what his accomplishments were during 2022 something else that happened in 2022 that i didn't think i'd ever see again and i'm i'm here for it loved it stone cold steve austin wrestles at WrestleMania, at the age of 57, against Kevin Owen. Crazy. We had two current tag team champions, a pair, partners, walk out of the WWE. Sasha Banks and Naomi. Never heard of that before. Heard of titles being stripped from champions because they've done something wrong or broke a policy. But these two walked out on their own and never came back never came despite all the rumors and that sasha is now on new japan pro wrestling like we talked about we still don't know what's up with naomi we don't know what's going on but they never come back this was last may just an amazing year and then i'll say one more cm punk ends up releasing relinquishing the aw championship right after winning it from adam page he also comes back they have an intermediate uh, champion with John Moxley. He comes back, loses his title to John Moxley, challenges John Moxley at the next pay per view, which is like a, this is all within a couple weeks. If you guys remember correctly, defeats John Moxley, gets the title, goes and makes a fool of himself at the post conference, causes a brawl, and has everybody wondering what kind of company or how the AEW as a company is actually being ran. So much drama there. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it right there, sir. Your thoughts? Uh, well, let's see. Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out. We can sit here and we could say it was unprofessional. They shouldn't have done that on, you know, when they were getting ready to go on TV later that night. But I have to say I kind of respect them for sticking to their guns and saying we know our worth and if we're not going to be utilized properly on television, then we're then we're just going to walk. 
because we're we're supposed to be the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, and we're not being represented well on television as the champions. So we're just going to take our ball and run with it. Um, the MJF situation, it is great to finally see him hit that peak in his career where he is a world champion now. There certainly was a lot of drama going on behind the scenes. We don't know how much of it was a shoot and how much of it was a work. I do think it started out as a shoot, to be perfectly honest, and then developed into a storyline. And I have to give Tony Khan a little bit of credit there for saying, look, let's just take this and run with it. He's supposed to be an obnoxious SOB in the storyline anyway, so this fits his character. Let's just go with it. The only real disappointing aspect of the MJF saga this year is that they really didn't go anywhere with the whole storyline with his association with the firm. They kind of ended that before it really got going. I think MJF with a faction to back him up would have been fantastic. Um, Instead, we didn't really get that. Uh, They were sort of loosely associated with him for a few weeks, and then that kind of just ended. But at least he ended the year on a high note as the AEW world champ. I think that was great. Um, I'm going to comment on the CM uh, Punk thing in a second, but there there was one other thing you uh, also commented on, um, Kentucky guy. Yeah, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestling. Stone Cold Steve Austin, yes. Um, I'm really happy for the guy. I grew up as a fan of his in the late 90s through the early 2000s when his uh, when his in-ring career ended. I always felt it ended prematurely, ended with a whimper, even though he had that great match at WrestleMania 19 with The Rock. It was a very low-key end to his in-ring career, and he still continued playing a character on WWE television on and off for a couple years afterwards, but it was never the same. So to actually see him come back and work a match with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania in his home state of Texas. That was a that was a feel good story right there and a great moment for a legend of the business. So if that does end up being his final match, I think it's a great way for him to go out. Um but it was just it, it was just a great moment, great moment in WWE history. Even though I will say the following night at WrestleMania Vince McMahon took the absolute worst Stone Cold Stunner I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was worse than Linda McMahon's stunner. It was worse than Donald Trump's stunner. It was a stunner of a bad sell, if you get what I mean. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, the CM Punk, the never-ending CM Punk drama. After having one of the biggest returns in wrestling the previous year in 2021, He gets injured after he wins the AEW world title. Comes back for a storyline with Jon Moxley, where they fight over the belt. Jon Moxley beats him in record time on an episode of Dynamite. Then they have a rematch at All Out. CM Punk goes over and wins the match clean. Gets injured in the process again. And MJF comes out and declares his intentions to challenge for the belt. And then CM Punk goes on a rant at the uh, all-out press conference, which led to the backstage brawl with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Ace Steel and God knows however many other people. Um, And it's just basically made an embarrassment out of himself. It's not a good look for CM Punk after all this hype to him returning. uh, And I, I would really be shocked if we see him in a wrestling ring ever again. I don't think WWE 
wants to risk bringing him back. And I don't think any other prominent wrestling promotions want to touch CM Punk with a 10-foot pole at this point. So CM Punk fans, just, just drink it up because I think this is the last you've seen of him on a wrestling program for probably the rest of his career. It's a very unfortunate way to end his career, but he did himself no favors with his actions. No, I say let him go, and I agree. I, I don't think he's going to, not in wrestling, uh, not in pro wrestling at least, I don't think we're going to see him on television again, and uh, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. So just uh, let's go through a couple more here. I know that we're running kind of lengthy. However, uh, there's so much that happened that year, uh, last year. Cody Rhodes, we mentioned this earlier, he defeated Seth Rollins in a classic match. And he also had a torn pectoral, which he's still recovering from. That was a great match. That put him in the GOAT category. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time, but there's a GOAT category where you have certain matches or certain things happen that put you above star status to superstar status. That match right there was his turning point, in my opinion. Uh, AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling opened the actual forbidden door back in June of 2022, where they actually had a pay-per-view. The pay-per-view was okay, but the idea behind it was fantastic. And like to see some more of that only without demands like my all my guys got to win and, and that crap. I mean, let's really do it. Uh, we also talked about this earlier. Vince McMahon retires for a while <laughs> in 2022. And Triple H is currently, and he was named, head of creative. Uh, three days later, after Vince McMahon's retirement, Ric Flair had his last match in 2022, supposedly. I still think he should have ended it, and I'll say this to the day I die, with the Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania. But he did go out like he wanted to go out, looking like a complete loser. So, your thoughts on those? Oh, looking like a complete uh, loser. That that's harsh, Kentucky guy for the for the nature boy. But um, no, I mean I agree with you. I mean he he had the perfect perfect send off against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24. I I, I just I don't know why why he had to come he had to get in the ring again. There was there was just no reason for it. I mean, the wrestlers that he was competing with, Jay Lethal, Andrade, Jeff Jarrett, they did the best they could to carry the match, and I give them a lot of credit for that. But Ric Flair, please, please stop. Stop wrestling. Just do, do, you know, do interviews, do your podcast, make appearances on television, whatever, but please stop wrestling. You're going to die in the ring if you set foot in it again. I don't want to see that. Um, Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, like you just mentioned, uh, had an amazing match. Um, both of those guys, as far as I'm concerned, um, entered the uh, entered the status of goat. And uh, you know, both both of them are dynamic performers and are continue going to continue to do some amazing things as uh, as time goes on. So I so I can't wait for that. And um, yeah, Forbidden Door on paper was an amazing idea. And I give a lot of credit to AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling for putting on that pay-per-view. There were so many setbacks, so many pivots they had to make in the lead-up to it. They weren't able to properly build a lot of the matches that they wanted to. 
because of various injuries to wrestlers. And then there were some wrestlers, such as Adam Cole as an example, who suffered serious injuries at the show. We, at this point, don't even know if uh, Adam Cole is going to return to the ring, which is would be very unfortunate because he's a great worker. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. I hope this concussion, this very serious concussion, that he, reco- that he recovers from it and he does get back into the ring. He is still young enough to have many great years in the business. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Forbidden Door, great idea. You know, okay execution at the end of the day. I'll give them credit where credit's due. But uh, it could have been so much more than it was. That was actually one of the things I had wrote down. 2022, the year of injuries in both uh, WWE and AEW. <laughs> there were so many injuries, and you're right. That handicapped the uh, Forbidden Door pay-per-view, absolutely. And as far as Adam Cole, there is still, the word is, the last time I checked, and that has been probably about, Four days ago, uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm, I really like Adam Cole a lot, a lot. I wish he'd be back. I wish he'd come back to WWE. However, I'm still a huge fan, no matter where he's at. He is. It is still up in the air if he'll ever be able to wrestle again. There is no clarification, and this comes from Dr. Britt Baker, who is his real-life girlfriend, fiance, what have you. comes from her and... I cannot think of the other guy's name that was on that podcast, but it was just a few days ago and they were talking about it. So, uh, so keep him in your prayers because, uh, he's too good to, you know, I mean, sometimes bad things happen to good people, but you know, it's just, it's just a sad situation. Uh, so moving on 2022 triple H brings back Bray Wyatt, Ron Strowman, Karrion Cross, Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, Dexter Loomis, Mia Yim, Dakota Kai, and Hit Row. <laughs> yeah, so the only one I'm excited about is Bray Wyatt, who we have not mentioned this episode, and we don't have time to get into it, but there is so much going on. Uncle Howdy goes to the ring and does a Sister Abigail on him while we're on break from the podcast, <laughs> and I can't wait to get into that, but I know we don't have time because, once again, they're two different people. Ha, ha, ha. Told you. All right. So, also in 2022, NXT UK dies. They're done with it. it they're going to reform it in Europe, I believe, is what they're saying. Paige Sierra returns to wrestling and is cleared. She's now part of AEW in 2022. Let's see. That was three. Uh, Antonio Inaki, in, in who was a famous wrestler who started the Japan Wrestling Association, was actually a part of the WWE. He passed away in October of uh, 2022. And Kachu Kitamura, at the young age of 36, another famous uh, Japanese wrestler, passed away in October of 2022. And I'll throw one more on there. Carl Anderson. This happened in October. This is very shocking. Carl Anderson, we know him as part of the Good Brothers, debuts in WWE while he is still a champion in New Japan Pro Wrestling under contract. You guys remember that when he appeared on Raw with AJ Styles out of nowhere? (laughs) So just uh, a lot of leniency for 2022. 
I think that's one of the great things about AEW coming along because wrestlers have a choice or they can usually use it as a bargaining chip now. And the restraints are off. Uh, they're loosened. They're not off, but they're loosened more than they used to be. And that has to do with Vince McMahon also being retired, I believe. But uh, your thoughts, sir? Well, it's interesting you brought up Carl Anderson because I, th- I think the last WWE contract to performer to compete simultaneously for New Japan was Chris Jericho when he was still with WWE. Um, and he also was a title holder at one point. I think he was the IWGP Intercontinental Champion. He was heavyweight champion. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, Carl Anderson was the never open weight champion in New Japan. Uh, dropped the belt to, uh, oh God, I think he dropped it to, was it, Shin, was it Shinjo Takagi or, uh, or Hiroki Goto? I, I, Hiroki. I'm getting names mixed up. Hiroki, yeah. Hiroki, Hiroki, yes. Um, but that was st- that's still a big moment when you have a WWE talent going overseas to comp- compete in New Japan and defend a title there. Um, oh, it was the year of injuries. So many injuries <laughs> in both promotions. I don't know how they honestly continued to have enough tel- talent for their weekly programs. Um, but somehow they pulled it off. So credit to WWE and AEW for that. Um the deaths of uh, the two Japanese wrestling legends that you mentioned, especially Antonio Inoki, uh, very tragic. You know, he was hugely influential on the wrestling business, sold out so many shows, cl- so many classic feuds with Ric Flair, Vader, Hulk Hogan, the famous 1970s matchup with Muhammad Ali, boxer versus wrestler. So many great moments in his career, Antonio Inoki. I mean, just it, the list goes on. And then, of course, all the talents that they brought back to WWE that were under the previous regime, many of whom were big stars in NXT and didn't get to really make a splash on the main roster, excluding Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt, obviously. Um, Out of those names that you mentioned, I really hope we get to see more television time for Karrion Cross, because I do feel that he's a talent that is very, him and Scarlett for that matter, feel they are two talents that are just being greatly underutilized right now. Yeah, they're being used better than they were in uh, the first run on the main roster, but that's not saying much. Um, there was a lot of hype when they came back, and I mean, he debuted by attacking Drew McIntyre, and they put that hourglass in the ring and sent a message to Roman Reigns and the Bloodline. But then that was never revisited after that. So that was a little disappointing. So I hope they utilize Bronze, uh, excuse me, uh, Carrying Cross a lot more in 2023. Uh, Bray Wyatt, too much to go into right now, but I'm definitely intrigued by the progression of that storyline. Let's hope it keeps going somewhere. Hit Row, you know me. I was really gung ho about them coming back to the main roster. I'm just kidding, of course. Um, I think they're taking up space, personally, that could be better. You know, television time could be used by groups like the Viking Raiders right now on SmackDown instead of Hit Row. But it is what it is. Yeah, just a caveat on Hit Row real quick. There is a rumor, 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 folks. I'm not reporting this, but there is a rumor that Triple H has decided to turn them heel. So that might be interesting. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think they had the talent to pull it off, but, you know, we'll see. All right, so the last couple things here, and this all happened towards the end of the year this year. Uh, the death and no longer of 
the 24-7 championship. Thank God. Man, that was getting so old. These group of jobbers running out to the ring and running all over the place, and the cameras go to them, fighting over a meaningless belt. The Usos in November become the longest reigning WWE Tag Team Champions. Pretty big deal. Also in November, boy, a lot of things happen in November. William Regal leaves officially AEW. No, I, I didn't see that coming, not this fast. So Sasha Banks, we mentioned this earlier. She appeared on Wrestling Kingdom 17. By the way, I don't know if you know this, or if I mentioned this earlier, I don't think I did. By signing that contract, she had be, she has become the highest paid wrestler in the company of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I say good for her. And then the final thing, Mandy Rose is ungraciously fired from having an OnlyFans. She's had the OnlyFans for almost two years and has not kept it disclosed from her former boss. However, her fans have picked up and support, and she has raised almost a million dollars. She's made almost a million dollars from from the OnlyFans website. What in the heck kind of website? That's crazy. A million dollars. And that just happened on December 14th. So, anyway, sir, I'll let you unpack the rest of it. And uh, if you've got that's all I have for this episode. Anything else you got, you just throw it in there. Well, a lot more to unpack. Um, the main ones I just want to comment on are, are uh, Mandy Rose and uh, Sasha Banks. Um, you know, the Mandy Rose situation... It's still very tricky, to be perfectly honest. You know, everybody, you know, can make different arguments whether, you know, she should even have this fans only, not fans only, but or fan time page or whatever it's called. Um, I guess the way I look at it is, you know, regardless of whether I'm in, in favor of it or not, as long as she's not hurting anybody or breaking any laws, then it is what it is. And if she can make money outside of the WWE on her own, good for her, I say. Um, you know, should they have acted so quickly and fired her? No. I mean, they could have gone with a suspension or a fine or something like that. It's not the best precedent to set, to be perfectly honest, but she's still doing great for herself. So I'm sure we're still going to hear things about Mandy Rose. Who knows what'll happen down the road if she'll ever return to WWE or wrestling in general, but she's still doing well for herself. Sasha Banks, I did not realize that she was was the highest paid uh, person in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's uh, that's pretty crazy. Good on her. Um, again, I think she's going to continue having a lot of success in the uh, in the business um, and and probably in other forms of media as well. Since she's also in you know involved with acting projects, as I mentioned earlier. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to comment on Kentucky Guy, and now I'm drawing a blank. Okay, uh, let's see. William Regal, the death of the 24-7 championship, the Usos being the longest WWE champions. I don't have a lot of comments on William Regal other than I'm not surprised that he's going back to WWE. I mean, again, if you believe the backstage rumors, he wasn't 100% happy in AEW, so I think this is where he belongs. He wants to go back to WWE, so that's, that's totally fine. 24-7 24-7 championship, 100% agree. Thank God this this ugh, this abomination is gone from television. 
you want to talk about wasting talent week after week, just having, you know, a dozen people run out to the ring and try to pin somebody. This wasn't like the hardcore championship where, where I was always genuinely entertained by what would, by the crazy antics that would go on on TV and pay-per-view each and every week that kept me entertained. And at least from time to time, you'd get a real match 24 seven championship. You'd get maybe one minute of an actual match. And then it would just be this mad scramble to win the belt. The only segments that really were funny were the ones involving our truth every now and then, because he's just had, has great comic timing, but I'm glad the belt's gone retired. Let's just leave it in the past. Pretend it never existed. And then, I mean, lastly, the Usos. I mean, one of the most decorated tag teams in history. Um, this is an incredible record that they broke, obviously. And I'm sure they're going to continue uh, continue it going into 2023. I, I still think it's going to be a while before they drop the belts to anyone. And whoever they do drop the belts to are going to have major bragging rights. Uh, the one caveat I'm going to say with that is I know that periodically in his personal life, Jimmy Uso has had some runs with the law. Hope that he can keep himself out of trouble in real life and just focus on the on focus on the television product and continue to perform as well as he does in the ring and just yeah, just keep keep his personal life in check. That's the only thing I'm going to add to that. And speaking of wrestlers, this is one addition I wanted to make. We know that earlier this year, uh, Jeff Hardy. Had another run-in with the law, another DUI. And he's his court date is still pending, as I understand it. Jeff has had a lot of issues over the years, a lot, a lot of problems with substance abuse. I want to see Jeff get clean for himself and for his family. I really think the only way for him to truly do that, I actually think it's time for Jeff Hardy to retire from the wrestling business. Um, maybe if he wants to still be involved in some capacity behind the scenes, that could be okay. But I just don't think this lifestyle is good for him. I think if he stays involved with his music and art projects, he's, he's a lot better. He's a lot healthier. I, I want, I want what's best for Jeff Hardy and I hope he can turn, can turn over a corner and, and help himself. But, uh, yeah, just too, too many run-ins with the law for this guy, unfortunately. And he's had too many chances. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I'll say before we end the episode, to piggyback off what you just said, I don't want to see him back on television. I don't want to see him back in round wrestling. He's had all the chances in the world. He is not a role model for any little kid out there. If you're listening and you want to be like Jeff Hardy, run. Don't do that. He is not a hero. He's had way too many chances. Yes, he is a good athlete. However, he just can't control it. I know it's a disease. I got it. I get it. However, this, I mean, how many chances can you keep giving someone? And I think he should be done, like you said, with wrestling. Go do whatever you got to do and stop getting out there and having little kids paint their face and be like you because every time I see that, it, it, it disgusts me that the parents allow it, not the little kids. They don't know any better. So, anywho. All right, folks, so you've been listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast with your hostess, Donnie Cage and the Kentucky Guy. And as always, God bless and God bless America. Hope everybody's having a fantastic 
2023. Stay safe.